Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host, Dungeon Master John. And today we have author Peter Wellmering joining us to talk about legendary weapons in your homebrew games. This is going to be a sweet episode. John, we had a really great time talking with Peter. And stay tuned for some more information on a contest to win some of Peter's books later on in the show. But John, before we do that, we have, of course, some five-star reviews. The first one comes from Eclipse Wizard and is entitled, Don't You Dare Stop, Five Stars. Started listening in 2015, whoa, way back when, finally got around to giving a review. From world-building, in-depth discussions, and helpful DMnastics, it can't get much better. DM Mitch, DM Neil, and all the other hosts and guests really know and care what they talk about. Starting with 3.5 and now just buying 5e, their advice transcends all editions, ages, and DM experience. They've helped me with so many ideas and really make the creative juices flow. Where would the world be without the DM's blocks? Well, hopefully Eclipse Wizard will never have to know. Thank you so much for that review. That was awesome. Our next review comes from Potato Hater, and it's entitled... Awesome name. Awesome name. The only podcast I can't listen to at work. It's, <laughs> and it says, I am subscribed to 70 podcasts, and I listen to all Ooh. of them at work. Oh, man. This is the only podcast <laughs> that I can't because I get caught up in the host stories and inspiration. I end up not doing any work. Instead, I get deeply inspired, and my mind races with the ideas for my own campaign. So I listen to it at home now. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Man, that's a 70 podcast and the only one he doesn't listen to at work. That's some high praise, John. Oh, that's yeah. pretty awesome. Thanks, potato hater. <laughs> and the next one comes from D. Burneth and is entitled, Helped Me Get Back in the Saddle, five stars. I've been listening to this podcast for almost four years now, and I just recently reactivated my iTunes account. Oh, we got some similar stories going on here. <laughs> Like the title says, this wonderful podcast helped me to get back into playing tabletop RPGs and jump right into the DM seat. I've been running a campaign for over a year now, awesome, and I couldn't have done it without you. My players and I thank you. Sincerely, the kind DM. Wow, uh -huh. thanks so much, the kind DM. That's a interesting name to have, the kind DM. Most DMs are like, I will crush you with a boulder. <laughs> but this guy is the kind DM. Thanks, kind DM. Those were awesome. And with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys! Well, for the meat today, we have a special guest, a guest that I'm actually sitting at the table with in person because I consider him a good friend. We have Peter Wellmerink, author of the Transport series, The Saga of Brockus Strawn, and co-author of Bedlam Unleashed, who he co-authored with Stephen L. Shrewsbury, Peter Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mitch. We've been trying to get this going for quite a while now, but yep. of course, life is busy. Yeah. But this moment's finally here, so now you get to sit down with me and John. And today we're going to be talking about legendary weapons, which, as we will hear, kind of ties into, not kind of, totally ties into your saga of Brockus Strawn. Mm -hmm. But we'll yep. hear more, obviously, about that when yep. we start delving into the topic. Awesome. So before we start talking about all these cool legendary weapons, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, the fast and sweet, I'm a father of three boys and husband and happy to be alive and basically have been writing, I would just say, action adventure material since I was a young kid. Hmm. 
and got my first piece published in 1997, short story, and then from there just kept moving forward with that passion. Now I've got a couple books under my belt, and I keep putting it out there, promoting it, talking to people, doing different events and stuff, so just trying to get the word out and trying to get my written work out. So besides doing my day job. Yeah, doing a lot of work um, getting getting your books out in the Grand Rapids area of Michigan especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, know yep. a lot of, you go to a lot of comic book shops around here. And, yep, and books stores and and uh, try to get the word out that way so got a huge fan base of three people <laughs> so, oh yeah uh, yeah baby they're they're awesome and they are so interested in in hearing what's going on that they just make the i mean i i don't care it's just cool that somebody even wants to talk about my stuff so yeah. <laughs> so that's fine we've shared a little bit about the names of your different series that mm-hmm. you've worked on uh, can you tell us a little bit have you been working on anything specifically lately my transport universe which which is kind of a what I call a post post apocalyptic tale and series. It's after all the bad stuff has happened, we're rebuilding, moving forward. There's still some of the feral zombies and all sorts of stuff out there, but I'm still writing in that universe. I found that I kind of like it and, and it inspires me to keep doing some stuff in there. But I'm also working on the second volume of Brock Estran because it's actually a roughly like a 10 story piece, and the first book is basically I think four or five stories and then the second volume it'll take you to the end when all the rest of the fun stuff happens but um, still working on some other fantasy pieces here and there and yeah so there's more ideas than there is time to actually get all this stuff down but always working on something and transport the transport series takes place here in the Michigan area mm-hmm. which definitely is such a draw for people here when they're meeting you and like I remember when I was reading the first book I was like I know this place. place, Like, that's so cool. I've driven past that. and Yep, even though I have changed the city's look just a little bit. As as it should be changed a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, in that the story starts out in 2025, Mm -hmm. but I've changed up some stuff, but still people recognize these places and they go, oh, cool. Oh, what have you done here? And what's going on in this part of the neighborhood? And I say, well, why is that? And they say, well, because I I live there. I want to know what's going to (laughs) happen to me during that. It's like, you'll be okay, really. Could you write me into your book, please? You know what? I've talked to people that have inspired me and I've asked them, of course, it's like, could I put you in as like a soldier or something yes. or whatever? It's like, yeah, can you like kill me in sort some sort of <laughs> epic cool way? I went, really? So there's a couple guys that uh, they'll they'll be in there. That's so. fantastic. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, so Peter, we have a surprise question for you today from DM Deadly Sprinkles. He's a silver Patreon dragon with us. The surprise question is. If you had to create a trinket for a character to have, what would you create and why would you give it to that character? I think the trinket would be like having a either a bone on your person that you've picked up hmm. or a fossil, some fossilized bone. I don't know, does it make sense to be imbued with some sort of power or sure it could be something strange like just having a some sort of piece of bone that for some reason gives you healing powers or in its death state it's keeping you i don't know it could be a good luck charm you know like yeah well i feel like even just seeing like whether maybe you have the bone does the character always hold the bone does he have it in a like around his neck as a necklace because i feel like a bone is a strange thing to see a character like playing with his hands or just especially if it's humanoid or something along those lines it's definitely Mm going to draw another whether it's a pc or npc it's definitely going to draw interest and they're going to want to know what's the deal here where it came from what why are you carrying this thing with you and okay this is like old school but I think of Tasselhoff Burfoot from <laughs> the Dragonlance series. He's one of the Dragonlance characters, and I could almost see him with a pouch, and he's got, like, all these little trinkets in there. And Oh, yeah, now you're making me think of just some character who has plenty of bones, and the whole point <laughs> is that he has <laughs> multiple trinkets, mm-hmm. one from each of his kills or something along those lines. Yeah. Or maybe one actually is something of importance, and... <laughs> He's carrying this thing around, and that's part of the story where somebody's after him for that. They know hmm. that, or it's a, it could be anything, ancestral bone that yeah. 
has some sort of significance or uh, it's a old bone from a witch or a warlock. And if it was it's an like old it, bone from a witch or a warlock, you would imagine it would have some sort of something. magical properties, yep. which yep. would be cool is if the character, the, pl- the PC, didn't even know it and right. you reveal it later yep. on. It's like his grandma's pinky toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's important. I must keep it. It means so much to me. It's the lucky one. It's my grandma's lucky pinky toe. Which, which sounds creepy, but... <laughs> But to the PC or the NPC, it doesn't have to be creepy to them. It can be very meaningful. But then it could be that person's grandmother might have been some sort of person of power or be it magical or whatnot. And there's something in that, too. Hmm. It makes my knees ache when it's going to rain. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. starts to vibrate and quiver when it's gonna rain or something that'd be great because that's such a like it's funny but it also is like no way game breaking to even just at the beginning of the campaign say here take this magical pinky toe of your grandmother (laughs) it's gonna let you know whenever it's gonna rain but especially like if he grew up in like a farming town that like magical artifact in no way game breaking would be amazing to that farming town they'd Mm -hmm. be like this grandma's pinky toe is great we need that thing We need that thing. Thanks, Peter, for that awesome answer. I had a lot of fun talking about that. (laughs) And thank you, DM Deadly Sprinkles. Awesome question. Grandma's pinky toe. Grandma's pinky toe. All right, with that answer of Grandma's pinky toe, let's jump into the topic at hand that we came to talk about today, legendary weapons. So first off, I think it's important for us to establish when we're bringing up this idea of legendary weapons, what do we mean by a legendary weapons? Do we have any examples from literature, movies, comics, anything along those lines? What is a legendary weapon? What does it mean to be a legendary weapon to you? To me, a legendary weapon is a weapon that's well known across the land or time and space, and it's something that's found or scribed in ancient tomes and dusty parchments, uh, maybe boasted about by a one-eyed, one-armed, drunken tavern braggart or some <laughs> bronze-skinned, mightily thewed warrior. Probably has never touched a thing. But, uh, <laughs> or seen it. <laughs> yeah, or seen it. To me, it's something that, like, it's very well known. It's been written in books and whispered in ears. and Yeah. Yeah, so... You could even flip that on its head, though, too, and say that it's 100% not well-known, that maybe it's been forgotten, right? Sure. And yeah, it's written about, but it's written in, like you said, whispers. I think of like whispers in a page kind of sense that you just get little mentions of... Is this thing real? Yeah, and maybe in different stories, too, because maybe the scribes who are writing the story of this battle that was saved by this hero wielding this weapon, they were writing from a distance, maybe in one scribe's perspective he was at such a far distance well to him it looked like a sword Mm -hmm. but someone else was closer and saw that it was a hammer and so you get these different accounts given so yeah you can absolutely go one with everybody has heard of lightning caller the sword that shoots out bolts of lightning uh, from the sky or you can go what is the sword Mm -hmm. and have your characters I thought it was a hammer yeah have your characters start to like pick up little hints and be like is this what they're talking about Mm -hmm. because that's a whole different weapon or is it's so vague it could be this weapon or it couldn't be this weapon yeah yeah when i think of a legendary weapon it needs to be a weapon where if you could look back in time and see the story of this weapon it'd be a pretty good story like either this weapon was wielded by the hero of the story or the villain of the story Mm. or there was Mm -hmm. some something in its past where it's truly collectible. Yeah. <laughs> Some shenanigans happen. Either there was a king yeah. and he always held this. It doesn't necessarily have to have ever killed a person as long Ooh. as it has a great story. Sure. Yep, exactly. Yep. No, I agree with that. With royalty, I like that, like handed down. And that would be 100% how it could be well known. Well, this mm-hmm. has been in the family line of kings of this country for centuries now. It's Mm -hmm. always been there. But on the other side of that, it could also be the weapon that makes the hero. Like a legendary weapon in the hands of a farm boy might turn that farm boy into an amazing hero who just saves the galaxy with his laser sword, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was thinking Shazam there for a minute. (laughs) 
are there any examples that we can think of from literature or movies or comics of weapons that kind of are the personification of what a legendary weapon is? I grew up reading a lot of Fritz Lieber and Robert E. Howard, Michael Moorcock, who did like the Elric of Melnambone. Fritz Lieber did Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Obviously, Robert E. Howard did Conan the Barbarian. Yep. But especially with Elric and even some of the, I read a lot of R.A. Salvatore's Dritz Duarden. Mm. Dark Elf, Drow material, and I know for a fact that he was really cool because he had a couple of scimitars, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Icing Death and Twinkle. What I really liked about Salvatore's stuff is that his sword fights were so real. I mean, you could see you the movement. Yeah. And yeah, so Dritz Duarden had some, I don't know if they were legendary as far as like people knew about them, but they were definitely you know significant and obviously weapons that he used throughout his, his time. So legendary now yeah. yeah that could definitely be the case that if we're talking about bringing these into the D world like perhaps these weapons don't have a backstory but it's in the game that you will be playing the campaign that these weapons will become legendary mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about on the show like having if you want to have your world have cameos later down the lines whether it's like pc in another campaign is reading a book and another pc from a campaign you played three years ago shows up in one of these books like that's always something the players get excited about mm-hmm. you can do this with weapons as well you can either have these weapons be spoken about in story from the tavern keep like you were saying, Peter, Mm -hmm. or you can literally bring it back into the world, even thousands and tens of thousands years later. Yeah, if you like playing the Forgotten Realms, I mean, you could almost have these things where it's like way beyond the time of Dritz, Mm. and maybe your your PCs stumble upon these scimitars, and, you know, there's, maybe they don't know the history, or maybe one of them knows Mm. the legend of Dritzd and yeah I love Forgotten Realms and I love Dritzd but mm-hmm. I off the top of my head what are the names of those those scimitars again Icing Death and Twinkle Twinkle I didn't remember either of those off the top of my head but if you introduced Twinkle. a yeah a scimitar <laughs> named Twinkle into my world I would not think this is Dritzd Warden's sword I would think oh this DM is having a really good time naming these stars <laughs> ridiculous are, are you things. gonna tickle me with that thing or <laughs> Twinkle. Yeah, I don't know. But he twinkled me right in the heart. Yes, now I die. We have Tolkien's Gandalf sword, the Glamdring. Glamdring, which yep. is that? The That's the one that. Bowhammer? As well as Sting, yep. Sting, and then there was a Orcrist. Orcrist, Thorin's. Yep, Thorin's sword. Uh, but yeah, all three of those found in a cave. All of those characters recognized these are well-made swords, elven make, and they saw that Glamdring and Orcrist had names, Sting did not, and so Bilbo named it. That's a good example because Glamdring and Orcus right there, boom, they got these legendary swords. But what's the sword out of all of those three that to us as readers is the most well-known? That was it's Sting, Sting yeah. the yep. one that is short and yep. more mundane than the others, and that's the one that through Bilbo and Frodo becomes the legendary weapon. So Elric's sentient sword, Stormbringer, mm. which actually was like an evil type of legendary weapon, I guess you could say, because it actually sucked the souls yes. out of its victims. And it could be friend or foe. In fact, in one of the stories, Elric kills his friend, I think his name was Moonglum which is kind of like Twinkle, Moonglum. <laughs> yeah, he kills his, his <laughs> friend with Stormbringer. I think Stormbringer, like, possesses him or something. And anyway, so kills his buddy, kills all his friends and family and everybody he knows, including his enemies, and I believe eventually it, it kills him. That's very much like the sword Soul Taker from DC Comics that Katana has, which obviously it is a Katana, that sword. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, takes in the soul's as well of whoever she's fighting. I believe in the comics, she even has her husband in the sword. So there's even this this relationship that she has with this sword. Speaking of intelligent items, though, this is one of the reasons you really wanted to talk about this comic. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about Brockus Strawn and his intelligent weapon? Sure. So Brockus Strawn is just a, a everyman. He's a husband and a father. He's got a crappy day job. He's the, <laughs> he's the town executioner because 
mainly he's a big dude but can't get any other job so takes a job as a town executioner but through his travels as he runs afoul of a archmage that's not very nice and the archmage is unhappy that the king of the land is basically slaughtering his peoples like a witch hunt so he grabs Brachus and says where well, you're going to do a bunch of missions for me to get these artifacts and other things so that I can at some point have enough of an arsenal of huh legendary weapons of all different makes <laughs> and models to put this king in his place which is probably six feet under but as Brachus travels, one of the things he comes across is this living vine that almost kind of like he rescues it. And what it does, it attaches itself to him and they form like a symbiotic relationship. And the thing can elongate and shorten. It's got barbs so it can do some damage. Also, it can uh, has a little of that life essence sucking ability. So if Brachus is kind of down and out, it can, you know, latch on to something and help him heal faster. It grabs on to something that's rather foul, and of course, Brockus feels it and ends up hmm. heaving his guts out. But Yeah, there's this connection whenever know. he's wielding it. And then there's a, another point where he angers it, and it won't do a whole lot for him. From what you've told me, it is an intelligent weapon. Right. And so this is where that is coming from. It doesn't sound like it speaks to him or anything, but it has a mind and will uh, right. of its own, it yep. sounds like. Yep. Working with him, it senses what needs to be done and, and sometimes protects him and sometimes yeah. gets him into situations. It's of good alignment, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. So with Brockus, he finds this weapon. Does this weapon have a backstory, or is it Brockus that is now making this into a legendary weapon? I'd say that it's probably Brockus who's going to make it into a legendary weapon, because it actually, the whip starts out as it's in the hands of kind of a villainous character, and I think it senses Brack is of good intention and hmm. wants to help him and knows that the only way that maybe Brock can succeed is by bonding with him. It sounds almost like Venom or Spider-Man. Yeah. And then there's some issue where it gets cut off from its world because it lived in like a green, like hmm. lush vegetation. Yep, living vine, mm -hmm. like you said. Yep. And so it ends up getting cut off from that. So at first it's, it's not real keen to be working with him but then uh, i think they they both come to realize that you know they can only survive by working together so <laughs> and through these these stories and their travels and the things uh, as they pursue these artifacts it'll become a you know brockus and Clawgiver, which is the name of the whip, will uh, become oh, I like that name. Know, legendary. <laughs> Clawgiver, where I came up with that, I don't know. And somebody said, that sounds, that sounds stupid. It's like, well, it can't be any worse than Twinkle. But uh, no, anyway. And I, and I don't want to offend any R.A. Salvatore fans because I love everything he does. I, I don't care if the darn scimitar is named Twinkle. <laughs> So, I've been reading the Wheel of Time series recently, okay, and yeah. mm. one of the really cool weapons in that is this sword, Kalendor, that's not actually a sword. There's this whole prophecy, and it's this sword enshrined in the biggest fortress of the land, and this person is going to be reborn, and to prove that it's him, he's going to go conquer this fortress and take this heavily guarded sword out of the ground, and he's the only one that can get through this magical barrier and get to the sword. So it's already this, everybody knows about this prophecy and this sword, so it's already legendary just because it's popular. Legendary by popular demand. And he goes in and draws this sword, and instead of it being this awesome sword to, like, fight people, it's a catalyst for his magic. And so he can channel, like, oh, infinitely more power by holding this sword than he could by himself. Cool. Is there, so I don't watch Game of Thrones, yep. and I know that's probably a sin, <laughs> but um, there's got to be, is there weapons in that or some? There or? are, but I don't, I don't know, John. I don't think, I can't think of any that actually have powers. Ice? But does I, I mean, they're, they're made of. Like the Valyrian steel? Yeah, I guess, so they don't have powers, but they have, they're made out of materials, some of them, that it's like, so there's the White Walkers. You're probably somewhat familiar with mm -hmm. the Game of Thrones universe. So there's the White Walkers and like, so there's. 
certain weapons that are made of a certain material okay. that are the only thing that can actually do damage to certain things. Right. But yeah, they don't... I would describe them more as ancient weapons than legendary, because they're not... I think a, a big thing is, like, legendary weapons is very much up to the interpretation. Like, because really, in that world, which is low fantasy, I would say that that's as legendary as weapons get like mm-hmm. so we've talked a little about legendary weapons what they are examples of them and let's talk about how do we introduce legendary weapons as dms into our own stories what are some ways that we can do this i think some of the probably simpler ways or more obvious is you find it in a dead warrior's hand hmm. or a dead hero's hand hmm. or it's secretly traded in like a black market scenario something like that oh and they don't in the black market scenario they don't even know what it is that they have the yeah. guy hands them a cloth wrapped yeah length of something and it's got some weight to it and makes the character's hair stand up on end i could see an an auction like scene and you go through like these people are bidding on these items and it's like, oh, 30,000 gold for that painting made by this famous artist that has been procured 45,000 gold for this item, this item. Then it comes and like the auctioneer is even kind of just like, uh, why are we even doing yeah. this one? And like, yeah, pulls the cloth off of this item that kind of looks like dusty crust, and dirty. Crusty yep. looking. Still got the blood off of it. He makes yep. a comment like, did nobody even try to clean this thing? Yes. And nobody starts bidding on it. But yeah, you can like, as the DM say to your player, like, yeah, that hair that stands up on your arm. Mm -hmm. You, or maybe even at the beginning, there's something about this. You even could have like dropped little hints of this weapon and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. You've read through your entire life. Your father read to you this story and this weapon was described as this. And then they're just staring at it. That'd be a great way to introduce a weapon. And then the joke's on you because it was a legendary painting of Death Rays the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was a butter knife. (laughs) I think also it, obviously the, and this is probably cliche, but, you know, you find it in the cold, dark, dank cave. Yeah. Which is inhabited by, you know, nasty beasties that you got to use it to fight your way out of. And maybe you find out a little bit about it as you're fighting your way through the, oh, look, it cuts through stone. Let's go this way. So with with Brockus, you said that the Archmage had it before. The the name of the this segment of the story is Terror in the Trophy Room, and this being gets into that and kind of keeps the Archmage from getting into that. So the Archmage sends Brockus in to, you know, figuring that, uh, you know, well if he dies, and, uh, <laughs> this person is actually carrying this other like a uh, normal like barbed whip, and then he's got Clawgiver. Uh, which I don't even think he realizes what it does, yeah, because it's not helping him. Yeah, so he uses that as a weapon, so. Yeah, and that's a great thing you can do, especially if you're talking, like you said, fight the villain for the weapon. You get the boss at the end, and, I mean, that's a way you can make that boss fight hard is if that weapon is either not intelligent or it is fighting for the bad guy. That's how you can give your boss a lot more of different buffs and things like that. But then when they kill it, that weapon can be theirs. Mm-hmm. They can then fight with it. And they can even start uncovering what what is the story behind this weapon. A, a boss battle is a perfect way to introduce a legendary weapon. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this story into my campaign for my players. We're about to start it. And so there's a god or some ethereal being is going to ask them in their dreams to go down this pathway of the gods or pathway of the heroes. i got to figure out what I want to call it. But they start traveling and there's other adventures going on. But they come to all these shrines, and at each shrine, there's a riddle or a puzzle, or they have to bring something there. Hmm. And then a messenger from one, like an angel or a disciple of whoever's shrine it is, comes and says they've completed it and hands them a mundane, like a stone or a stick or something, and gives it to them. And then I'm going to let my players decide whether they keep it or what they do with it. And then they're going to go through seven of these, and then. When they come back, when they go back into the town, there's this big archway. And as they pass through it, if they have one of these mundane items on them, it turns into a legendary weapon. That's cool. It's like, yeah, it's hidden. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. I, I, I mean, you also bring up, John, with that idea, the fact that if we're giving 
the PCs these legendary weapons. You can have it like we've said. It can be a family heirloom, and so they can just start with this legendary weapon and begin the game with this. Or you can have it be a side quest, have it be something along the lines of like what you're saying, John, with your story, that they can do this as a side quest. Or they go into that dungeon, they fight that big bad, and that's where they get this legendary weapon in the mm-hmm. side quest. Or you can literally have this be the big thing that you're doing in the campaign. Your PCs are going out, searching out these legendary weapons so that they can become great heroes like those who wielded them before. I must find the Master Sword. (laughs) One of my other ideas for actually how to introduce a legendary weapon into a game is after being swallowed by a Tarrasque. Ooh. <laughs> you find it in its gut, and you cut your way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Of course, the one weapon that can kill the Trask oh, would wait. only be found inside the Trask's exactly. belly, right? <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? I mean, that's a, that's yeah, that's a legendary story right there. Yeah. The Trask knew that this weapon could Ooh, kill it, yeah. so it swallowed it, knowing that hey, no one's gonna you know take me out, so I'll just you know walk around <laughs> invincible. And then it swallows the wrong person, and as they're swimming in the the that's bile, his downfall. Yeah, yeah. Or the first hero who had the sword was like, I can now defeat the Trask, yeah. and just got swallowed right away. Just yep. like. Acid disintegrated them. Mm-hmm. They did not win. It's just some farmer with a legendary sword. <laughs> <laughs> I got this, guys. <laughs> As we've said, you can introduce these legendary weapons by having the plan be, I want to give these weapons to my PCs mm-hmm. and have them have these weapons. Or uh, another option is that you can have this be part of what the big bad has i mean the whole story i mean it's really like multiple weapons in one but thanos and the infinity gauntlet like that's a story of a big bad with a big bad (laughs) weapon that does some crazy stuff Mm -hmm. and the point is all the heroes have to get together to take him down and get that weapon away from him it could be that that is what they're working towards not to get the weapon themselves but at least get it away from the big bad. And the other thing that I was even just thinking is we've mentioned legendary weapons having stories, I mean, legends, right, around Mm -hmm. them. They can have poems and prophecies written, songs about them. One of the cool ideas here is that if you have an idea for a legendary weapon in your world, but you're like, you know, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, like maybe you're like, it doesn't fit into the story that I'm doing right now. Well, how cool would it be is if you go into a tavern and you have a, a bard start reading a poem about this legendary weapon and your players are like, well, that was kind of interesting, but totally doesn't make sense with what we're doing right now. Start moving on, keep playing the campaign. And then a year later, you start a different campaign and that's one of the weapons that they find. To wait for that light bulb to like turn on in that player's head wait when they go, yeah. yeah, hold mm-hmm. on. I remember that poem that Bard recited. Mm-hmm. This is that weapon. Holy cow. I think little things like that. Tie the, the games together. Yeah, I mean, Peter, as an author, like, I know you're well aware of it, but it's so amazing when authors, like, plant things early on yep. that come back way later. And, yeah, as a reader, you're like, oh, sweet. And then as a reader, you want to even go back to Sometimes, where... yeah, you want to go right. back and... Yeah, and re, reread it yep. because you're like, oh, what am I going to gain from it now? Yep. That's such a cool thing that you as a dungeon master can also do. Plant the seeds mm-hmm. for something that can be later. And honestly, you could do this in multiple campaigns. And, oh, man, we keep hearing these stories about this cool hammer, but it's never going to show up, is it, DM? <laughs> yeah, three stories from now it will be. And when it does, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a sword because those scribes were wrong. <laughs> and it's coming out of a terrace. <laughs> You will find it in the belly of the Tarrasque yes. when you think all hope is yes. lost. Now, just who is the one that's going to get yep. eaten to go get it? <laughs> who is the unlucky going to be lucky? Yes, exactly. All right, so we've talked a lot about legendary weapons. We've talked about how to introduce them into your story. Now, let's do some brainstorming on inspiration. Like We've talked about legendary weapons from literature, from movies, all that kind of stuff. 
Let's talk about our ideas for some new legendary weapons that could be added into the worlds out there, the homebrew worlds that DMs are running. What are some ideas for some cool legendary weapons? Mitch kind of mentioned something like this earlier, but I like the idea of a sword that gives its wielder, it just makes him into a sword master. Hmm. Oh. Maybe it's a wizard. And when, like, he's out of spells or he's all of a sudden he's down on his luck, he can't use magic anymore, somebody calls silence or something, he's like, well, time to pull out my legendary master sword. And then all of a sudden he's a level 10 (laughs) sword fighter who can still kill them. Nice. I I mean, imagine like... Hang on, let me tie up my robe first <laughs> and and let's go. I mean, imagine playing a character or having a DMing for a character who's playing a sword-wielding hero like that, but if their sword is lost, they lose all of their class skills, lose all of these awesome skills that they've acquired, and they go back to a level one, five HP commoner. And maybe they don't like change in appearance or anything, but it's kind of like that Amigo Montoya look. They look mm-hmm. kind of just like they don't look fancy, but when that powerful object, that sword is in their hands, they become the greatest. He-Man, I have the power. <laughs> they become the greatest sword fighter in the world. Yep. And even along with that, if it's a well-known weapon, and we didn't talk about that, but doesn't that paint a target on that character's back? Sure. Right? Because it's yeah. like everybody's going to want to get that sword from him. But mm-hmm. that'd be that'd be so cool. to. I would love to play a character. I love characters with flaws. I would love to play a character that it's like, if I lose this sword, I am worthless. <laughs> I like the idea of you change class hmm. while it's in your possession or something. Ooh. What if it changes, like, oh. your race or something like that? Huh. Where it's kind of like the Queen Fiona <laughs> in Shrek, <laughs> where, you know, you're, you're one thing, you know, without it or with it. And then another thing without it or without it, you know what I'm saying? When it's on your person, you're whatever class or whatever you are. And then when you get a hold of it, it changes you maybe physically or so. Of course, that's like a a, would be a magical type thing. But I've got three ideas from that. So I'm just going to spit them all out real quick. One, when you said changing class, I thought of, uh, so there's this game called Bloodborne where each weapon has two forms, and so it will be like a short sword, and then you'll press a button, and it becomes like the longest sword ever. You like do a flick of the wrist, yeah, and it just like doubles in length, and it becomes amazing. I was thinking when you said changing class, wouldn't it be sweet if like the weapon, uh, maybe John, even to draw back from something you said, it's like it starts as a stone, and whatever you think of, that's the weapon it becomes and you gain those skills along with it john you brought this up before but it was the sword that channeled magic it didn't do something you would expect a sword to do like you could have a weapon uh, like a dagger that the whole point is that it gives you shape-shifting abilities Mm -hmm. the dagger as far as the dagger goes is totally a mundane dagger as far as dagger abilities go but it can change you into whatever sort of race yeah, you want right it's a great stealth weapon just to blend in the class thing too it can give you well again it's probably like typical oh i got a dagger so it's probably going to give me some sort of thief or stealth skill or something like that yeah of course then you could play with that though too and like totally make it they're gonna think that's <laughs> gonna give them but it's gonna make them like super clumsy yep and maybe give them some bonuses elsewhere yeah. it knocks their dexterity down to next to nothing and they're tripping all over the place and absolutely combining those two ideas mitch just had with it giving you strength and changing your shape is just making me he's gonna hate this because he hates dc but it's making me think of shazam (laughs) i don't hate dc (laughs) and i really like shazam not only are you a level five farmer you're also (laughs) a little kid that's playing through this adventure And, like, all of a sudden, the bad guy steals your weapon, and it's just, like, a five-year-old standing there, like, in front of the demons <laughs> oh, of eternity. No. Like, oh, oh no. The skies are red, and they're swirling with demons, yeah. and, uh... <laughs> or, John, to flip that scenario, you steal this legendary weapon from the bad guy, and that bad guy reverts to a eight-year-old boy. Who has a bad attitude problem. You're not going to... I mean, I, I got to hope that your PCs don't just kill this eight-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've met some players out there I'm who would not care. I'm going to give you such a spanking. But really, I mean, I hope they wouldn't. <laughs> 
I've certainly done things as a DM where it's like, oh, this is a clear moral quandary. The players won't do this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are awful. (laughs) So one of the things that I thought of with legendary weapons is if you are going to, if you are going to grant them to your PCs from the get go, maybe they don't start off. Obviously you might not want to start them off with like these game breaking weapons. There's got to be some limitations. Yeah. I think it's always interesting if there's some sort of drawback, and even if it's like the most powerful sword or battle axe or anything like Maybe that. Maybe it takes its power from you and unleashes it, and so you get exhausted you lose couple, afterwards. Lose a couple of years of your Ooh, life or something like yeah. that, and maybe you don't realize it until later where it's like you know i'm is that a gray hair you've got there you're looking pretty old steve yeah but one of the things i thought was that as you play if you want to introduce these early on in your campaign like there's nothing to say that these weapons don't either reveal their powers the more that they are used or that they don't themselves level up or gain new powers so you can kind of start out by giving your players these powers that you're like, yeah, this is sweet. They have some awesome powers. We have a group of players and all of their swords that they have are these legendary connected swords and each one, the blade ignites into this different elements so you have like an earth sword an ice sword a fire sword and when they put the tips together they become a giant <laughs> no, robot no, no. don't cross oh, the sorry. beams oh. don't cross the streams peter don't cross <laughs> the streams <laughs> become, become a giant robot yes <laughs> oh gosh power rangers reference right there classic <laughs> but who's to say that they you know you get you give them all at the beginning and they all have this sweet ability but you're like this is awesome it gives them a severe boost but it's not crazy that they're still going to come up against bads that are going to be hard to fight. Right. But then later on, you reach level five, and oh my goodness, now they've developed more powers. Now when you take that ice sword and you drive it into the ground, two ice elementals come up and they guard your character as well. And as you develop, this sword also develops or reveals more powers to you. Especially like, I'm think- I, like I keep that. going back to Brock Strawn and his intelligent weapon because it sounds like that's a little bit of what happens with him is I don't know how to use this whip well the whip knows how to use itself and will reveal itself when the time comes pulls him out of some hot spots Mm -hmm. I do like the legendary weapon doesn't really manifest itself until you hit a certain level Hmm. because also too if you hint at that in the game, the player is going to go, oh, I got this weapon. It's not doing anything. I think I thought it was supposed to be cool. It's not. But you don't want to have them dispose of that thing. So you want to make sure that you keep hinting that there's something to come. And it maybe as, like you said, they gain levels and gain skill at some point, this thing starts to really reveal itself to them. So that would be cool. Yeah, you can be as subtle or as obvious with it as you want. You yep. can be subtle and not... Have the sword be mundane looking and we keep going back to swords. Have the hammer be mundane looking Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Or you can have engraved on that hammer something along the lines of this hammer earth smasher will only reveal its true power to those who are worthy. And that it can be a level 10 unlock or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a player and you read that on a hammer, I don't know the player that's going to go, I'm going to sell this at the market for yeah. 10 gold. Like so. Right. I had this idea. I took this from a video game and kind of manipulated it. But what if you had a crown that connected to some daggers and then they just flew around Ooh. telepathically doing what you Ooh. want? I like that. That's cool. And then a mirror shield that everything that hits the shield gets reflected. It just Perfect. Like if somebody's hand reaches in with like a sword, his hand reaches out with a sword and stabs back. Like, if you shoot magic in, it comes back out. <laughs> cool. And then, encounter to that, a uh, shield that absorbs all things. Like, you know the move Bide in Pokemon? Where, like, you wait and take all the damage and then do it back double? So your character would just stop and, like, activate this shield. Mm. And for that whole round, everything that hits you, you would take all the damage. But then, that next round, you'd do it all back double. I'm, of course, thinking of the scene from the first Avengers where Captain America holds up his shield... 
Mjolnir comes down, hits it, and it releases a shockwave that right. knocks Thor and Iron Man, and yep. Captain America is just standing there because, yeah, he his shield absorbs it. And that's not what the shield is meant to do, but, I mean, that's what Black Panther's armor does in the new movie, is mm-hmm. it, it absorbs that kinetic energy so that he can kind of release it out and make a shockwave effect against his enemies. Some kind of weapon, a hammer or a dagger or something that makes two of you? Ooh, like, not an illusion, but legit two of you. Yeah. And then, but until you sheat the dagger, and then there's only one of you again. Can you send that double to do stuff for you? I mean, yeah. They... Yeah. Is there like a distance that he disappears at, or does he have true feelings? Like, right. is he like, hey, stand right here for me for a second? <laughs> yeah. If I leave your side at 500 feet, I disappear. It's like, no, what is life? <laughs> But yeah, like I went the same way, Peter. I was like, the clear, obvious thing is, oh, two of me in battle, great combat advantage. Mm -hmm. But I think there's way more role-playing advantages to having a double of yourself. Mm -hmm. But also, like the movie The Prestige. (laughs) Yes. When you put the dagger back, which one of you lives? Or do you just like absorb all the thoughts you had? Then do you fight over it? I was like, uh, don't sheathe the dang thing. I'm not ready to go yet. (laughs) Do either of your persons know which one is real and your party does your party know which one is real there's going to be a lot of cool role-playing opportunities for that Mm -hmm. all right john give us another one i got one more that i thought was really cool you know how if you open a portal to another place i always think about like that edge would be infinitely sharp in between the two planes like Mm -hmm. the edge of that circle like if you open up a portal anywhere what if somebody had a sword that was just a portal in the shape of that sword and you're just swinging around an infinitely sharp dimension. Anything that goes through it normally would just end up in like the ethereal plane or somewhere else. But you're just literally chopping with an infinitely sharp sword. So it's going to go through anything. You're reminding me of the subtle knife from Philip Pullman's The Subtle Knife book. Because <laughs> that's that's very similar. He The dagger is so sharp that he can literally cut through air and open up different worlds. Wow. That was actually one of the, because I was thinking of different powers that the, the weapon might have, and that was one of them where it can open a portal, and it's either like a, a one-way type thing or a yeah. two-way, or it throws you into some unknown destination. So as a DM, you could possibly use that if you want to you know, throw your characters, throw your players into like either some other realm yep. totally or world or Different whatever. Plane, or, whatever it is. Yep. yep. So I would go further and delve deeper into that specific item and go, is it random? Which random makes it very scary for mm-hmm. the players. And I would say that that's an item that's like, it's only in the most dire of need. Cause right. I don't, I could literally go from the frying pan into the fire and drop myself into a volcano. Right. Or, like Brock is Strawn's living whip, like, is it intelligent and it knows where it's going? Right. Which certainly, is it evil aligned? Is it good aligned? Right. Like, those are going to change. Like, is it trying to help or trying to hinder? Exactly. I just had this crazy idea. What if every time you kill an enemy with this, this sword that opens up a portal, it opens up a portal to where they were, like exactly one year before they died or something so like you got to get into like this bank vault and you know this guy went in there and you wait one year and then (laughs) kill him and now there's a portal into the bank vault (laughs) i'm gonna wait till the the head banker leaves the place then i'm gonna whack him with this sword so that i'll be able to yeah (laughs) that's evil that is evil (laughs) but what if they're from a different plane like a mind flare shows up and you're like you know what i've always wanted to go to the illithid plane okay well now you're just telling me that you don't stand for mind flare rights john and i am not okay with that (laughs) as a big fan of mind flares oh my gosh this episode has been so fun I just want to thank you so much, Peter, for coming and being on the show. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they reach you? They can look me up on Twitter, which is basically just at P. Wellmerink. That's P as in Peter, P. Wellmerink. 
W-E-L-M-E-R-I-N-K. I'm also on Facebook. You can just search Peter Wellmerink. Yeah, and you can find my books on Amazon. That would be the main place. If you want to get a hold of me directly through email correspondence, that email address is pwellmerink at gmail.com. And basically, you can pick up a signed copy of any of my material for a discount. So Ooh. because at that point, I feel that you're a, a friend and family member. So speaking of signed copies, Peter, and when this episode airs, everybody should head over to Twitter at DMS underscore block. We will be doing a contest, which all you have to do is follow us and retweet it. And you can win a signed copy of Brock is Strawn at a very discounted price of free, which is pretty awesome. So all you have to do is retweet that and you will be entered into that contest. And who knows, maybe I'll throw a couple little extras in there for Ooh, you too. Perfect. So. Like I said at the beginning, you are right local with me and you will have a book gig coming up soon. So for any people in the Grand Rapids area, mm-hmm. uh, give a shout out. Yeah, I'll be at the Comic Signal on Plainfield Avenue on July 14th with three other local West Michigan authors. So we'll be there from 11 till 3 or 4-ish. We'll have all our material there. I'll have Brock Estran and some other stuff there. So come down and stop by. And plus, it's a great store, the Comic Signal on Plainfield in Grand Rapids. Great place. Amazing. It's huge. Amazing. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that episode on Legendary Weapons. We want to thank Peter once again for joining us on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. John, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, maybe they have some stories about legendary weapons that they've put into their games or how they use them or anything else, where can they reach us at? You guys can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Dungeonmasterblock, one word. And if you like our show... Please feel free to give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it out on the show like we did in this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And remember that we will be having, once this episode airs, a contest to win some of Peter's signed books. So get on there, follow DMs block, and retweet to be able to be part of that contest. You can also, of course, like us on Facebook. Both of those places are great places to go to get updates about when episodes drop, what they're about, and just all around D&D goodness. We have a patron member shout-out of the week, and this week's patron member shout-out goes to... Clint Benish! Thanks so much, Clint Benish. Clint is one of our bronze dragons on our Patreon page. Thanks for your support of our show. We greatly appreciate it. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. You guys should check out our other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, and Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. Thanks for joining us here in the place that we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. You're Simon. What do you want to say? Uh, <laughs> do you just do you just salute to a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> and keep on dungeon mastering. <laughs> John, you had something? No. <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say. Why can't, I can't talk. I'm too, I'm too excited. Take a breath. You're good. I'm too excited. <laughs>
Goodbye.